Hello! Today's episode of the Doing Good podcast celebrates Susan, who volunteers with the Imagine Project and Developmental Disabilities Resource Center in Colorado. She thought she could contribute her professional background to nonprofits, and she certainly did. But it's her love, compassion, and experience of being on the receiving end of a nonprofit which makes her an impactful volunteer. Well, hi, Susan. This is Megan with the Doing Good Podcast, and we're so happy that you're here today. Hi, Megan. Thank you so much. I am so really honored to be here. Thank you. Well, absolutely. We are excited to celebrate volunteers, and we have heard great things about you. I mean, even across the country. (laughs) So I think that all of us just want to celebrate you and your impact that you're having on others and your heart. So yeah, could you tell us just a little bit about yourself? So we know who we're listening to today. Absolutely. Well, again, my name is Susan Hartley, and I'm actually a third-generation Coloradoan. I live in Wheat Ridge now, but was born and raised in Denver. Um, Wheat Ridge is just a small little suburb, literally right next to Denver. I have an incredible husband named Todd, and then I've got four kids all together. I had a son, uh, Cameron Joseph, who was a special needs child. He uh, had a very rare seizure disorder called West Syndrome. When he was diagnosed at about six months of age, there were actually only 18 known diagnosed cases. And I remember at that time, they told us we'd be lucky if we'd have him till he was three, but we did have him till he was 34. So, you know, it was a wonderful thing. And then I have two step boys, uh, TJ and Bo. And then I have a daughter, Bella, our youngest, and she's 28 and a pretty incredible kid. I also had just an incredible career um, in telecommunications for 38 years. Started with Mountain Bell, which then turned into US West, that then turned into Quest and then to CenturyLink. So I kind of lived through like four mergers and honestly had just an amazing career and retired four years ago. Um, No grandkids yet, but I do have two Irish Wolfhounds. I figured no grandbabies, so I'm going to have dogs. And um, they're both over 150 pounds. And one was a rescue. And the other, he actually is a little special needs himself. He's got a little fused backbone, but he's totally fine. I will say uh, my professional career, I think, taught me a lot and gave me a lot of confidence working with people. And um, I volunteered a lot while I was working, really, in many different capacities, But as I got older, I really found what I was passionate about. And now there's two organizations that I give a ton of my time to because they're the two things that resonate with me. Could you tell us a little bit about those two organizations? Absolutely. Um, The first organization that I've been really involved with since my son Cameron was probably about eight months old um, is called the Developmental Disabilities Resource Center. DDRC is what we call it. And it is one of the largest, what's called a community center board in Colorado. So we serve four counties and we really provide services for people with intellectual and developmental disabilities and their families. And really from the time they're infants all through their lives. And when I was a young mother with a special needs child, I was actually a single mom for about nine years before I met my husband, Todd. And I can remember, you know, all of a sudden you're a mom and your child has serious health issues, developmental delays. You're just completely overwhelmed with an area that you have had no experience with. And this organization, actually my doctor, my neurologist, 
he's the one who really introduced me to the DDRC. And they have just been an incredible partner. Did a bunch of volunteering with them when Cameron was little because I was in the classroom a lot. You know, let's just face it, every mom is a volunteer. But by the time he was about 11, I was then married to Todd. Todd had adopted Cameron and we had our daughter, Bella. And having that help allowed me to get even more involved with the DDRC. And I joined their board when he was about 11. And, you know, I think back on all the experiences. And of course, I joined for selfish reasons at first, because I wanted to be able to help influence the services and programs and things my son would have access to. But it very quickly became way, way more than that. I mean, you know, within the first couple meetings, you realize how blessed I was and how good I had it and how many families needed so much more than what I needed. And so you become very passionate about making sure this organization gets strong and that it'll be there forever so that it's not just for my child, but for any child who ever, and family, whoever has issues um, dealing with intellectual and developmental disabilities. So I think one of the big keys to volunteering is making sure you're really passionate about what you're helping with, right? Because while I worked at CenturyLink, I had incredible opportunities. I represented CenturyLink on the board of the Mile High United Way in Colorado. You know, I helped run the fundraising campaigns for that. I worked at Habitat for Humanity, which is an amazing, amazing organization. And then, you know, the work at Children's Hospital, all of these are incredible things that I was able to do through my employer. But as I kind of developed and understood I wanted to spend my free time in the things I'm passionate about, I got more and more involved with the DDRC. I was able to do that because my husband was home with our kids and was an amazing support. And now I'm the treasurer of the board. And as much as I get from them, I think I've also given a lot, you know, to them. And especially the time I can spend with young parents who are just experiencing, you know, a diagnosis like this and not knowing where to go and where to turn. So I just love it. It's it's an amazing organization, does an incredible job. And then about 10 years ago, um, really, I think about 2010, my cousin really started this unbelievable nonprofit called the Imagine Project. This was formed out of her experience first as an ICU nurse, and then actually our little Mackenzie, who is just about 10 months younger than my daughter, was born premature. And she started really understanding the stress and trauma that preemie children you know, go through and their families go through. And she started then really changing her focus from just ICU, but to stress and trauma. She has got her master's. So let me tell you a little bit about my cousin because she is incredible. Yes. She was going through all this with Mackenzie and it just kind of is indicative of who Diane is. She really starts thinking about if this is impacting me, who else is it impacting, right? And she, where I kind of have this insane amount of energy, super high volume, right, of personality, hers is this incredibly calm, just attentive, present personality where people just feel so comfortable around her and calm down around her. And she just really wanted to help more people that were going through what she was going through. So she ended up getting her master's degree in psychiatric and mental health nursing. She knows the Imagine Project really was a gift to her 
she found a way to help families tell their story using the word imagine. It's incredible. She would talk to these parents and just have them start with that because something about that word allows you to kind of step away from your story, right? So like when I, um, the first time I wrote the story, I wrote it about my son, Cameron, right? And I could start with imagine, you know, being told that your child will only live three years, you know, imagine that he will never know how to speak or talk or what. And, you know, you can start from this place of going, okay, that helps me take some of the emotion out of it. But then she developed this process. It's seven steps and it's expressive writing. You use that word. So you start with imagine and then you start turning that around. So every child in the seven step process, the first thing we do is have them write down what they love about their life, right? So imagine you have parents who love you. Imagine your brothers and sisters are your best friends. You know, those are the kinds of things I would write down when I would start an Imagine story. The first time I went to help with the Imagine project, we walked into a classroom of high-risk kids and Diane said, okay, let's start with the things you like about your life. And we're gonna spend two minutes and I want you to write down with the word imagine everything you love about your life. And so I'm doing it with them because, you know, I hadn't done the project. And really within two minutes, I probably had four pages full of things I just really are good in my life. I looked around and these kids were struggling to write one thing down. And so this huge gut punch for me around how amazingly blessed I am. And then we go into write down five things that you don't like or that have been hard in your life. And I'm struggling to come up with two, right? And these kids are filling four or five pages worth. Oh, no. So then you start realizing, okay, there's something happening here that we've got to try to address. And no wonder Diane is doing this because then she takes them into writing their stories. And I've got a couple samples of stories that I'll be happy to share. Please do. But the first time she did this in the classroom, at least three kids had imagined committing suicide. And this was in a very affluent school district in the Denver metro area. Anywhere. It doesn't matter where, but three in... It doesn't matter. Yes, in one classroom, in fifth graders. So, you know, trauma is a big deal with kids. And so what's so beautiful about this project is they write that story, but then the fourth step is what do you want to see instead? And... In this classroom where I was watching these kids who had three and four pages of things they hated, by the end of a two and a half hour session, they were saying things like, imagine I've become a cardiologist. Imagine I am going to be a neuroscientist and work on disease. Imagine I can go to college and get a degree. And all of the sudden they are seeing this incredibly different outcome, right? And it made me realize number one, how this could help families that have children with intellectual and developmental disabilities work through their issues and see a different outcome for their child. But more importantly, how many more kids needed to experience this process. And so that was 2017, about 2017, when I went to my first session with Diane. And I had just recently retired and was like, oh, you know, let me help her with her nonprofit. And of course, I went in thinking I'm going to help her with her telecommunications and make sure the technology is (laughs) great. But it quickly became something much more personal. So we probably in 2017, maybe five, 6,000 kids. And now we have 
and I'm not kidding you, over 330,000 children have done the Imagine Project journals. It's unbelievable. It is in all 50 states. We are in 23 countries. We have converted all the material to Spanish. We've had research projects done that show this isn't just anecdotal. This is real brain change. You know, these kids have. And this last year, it grew dramatically because our mission is that every child has access to this for free, that no teacher ever has to pay for it and use their own money to bring it in. No parent who wants their child to see it has to pay for it. No kid who just wants to pull it off the web and use it ever has to pay for it. So we do everything we can. The fundraising we do is to make sure this stays free for every child. Outstanding. Outstanding. So I have a quick question for you, and this is not meant to hurt or downgrade any organization anywhere. But what I'm wanting to get across to people listening is there are different options and different ways of tackling similar issues. So preemies are known to be the reason March of Dime exists. Can you explain to the rest of us the differences between the two organizations and why essentially they both should exist? Oh, absolutely. First off, Diane was very involved with the March of Dimes when Mackenzie was first born. And as a matter of fact, organized several fundraisers for them. And I do think Mackenzie was even one of their poster children. How exciting. It's very exciting. So let me tell you, the organizations are different, but incredibly complementary. And the Imagine Project is not just for preemies. And I think what we see is the March of Dimes, what an amazing, <laughs> incredible organization. Um, I still have friends who are very involved in the marches every year. So many families have experienced their child being born premature, and they're just so different, but so complementary. The Imagine Project, I would say when you have a premature child, is really for the family to work through kind of, here's where I'm at in this scary place, but here's what I imagine it can be. The Imagine Project helps everyone of every age. We have journals for pre-K, so it's called Byron the Caterpillar, and, and little kids can hear the story and draw pictures if they can't write yet. Then we have journals for elementary, kindergarten to say fifth. Then we have journals for the teen and journals for adults. The adult ones, especially for PTSD victims, for people dealing with traumatic brain injuries. We actually had police organizations say, geez, we could use this for our officers and probably even for prisoners. So we saw all these amazing applications, but we knew in order to really grow the nonprofit and to get the Imagine Project out there to really make it almost a movement was we needed to narrowly focus in on kids. That's where we saw a huge need and we knew kids were really open to doing the journaling and sharing their stories. Because while you don't have to share your story, the power of sharing it, especially in the classroom environment, you watch these kids empathize and rally around a child who is having difficulty, whether that is that their grandmother died or their dog is lost. No matter what that trauma is, how big or small, we've only seen children react with empathy and compassion because that's what kids do. Right. Exactly. Exactly. And that is incredible. But let's focus on you for a minute. You are why we're here. 
One thing that I caught when you were talking about the Imagine Project at the beginning was that she's related to you and that's how you were introduced to it. So I'm wondering what you thought of that experience, getting involved as a family member with a small but unknown nonprofit that I'll say is getting its feet under it and the importance of family and support systems around those organizations. Absolutely. Well, again, when I first started helping Diane, it really felt like I've got a ton of corporation experience, right? I've got a lot of experience being on boards of nonprofits. So now that I have time, because I'm retired, I started on her board and really thought I would be this sort of technology guru from a communications perspective. Knew she wanted everyone to have access. Knew we wanted to make sure it was going to be an easy tool to use. And like I said, within two weeks, experiencing the actual transformation of children changed everything for me. And I don't know that it mattered that I was related to Diane. That's what got me introduced to it. But I found there was that little switch that flipped in me going, oh, this is so much more than just a few kids telling their story. This is something that's going to change the world. For sure. And my thought is that a lot of people come into volunteering in different ways. And, you know, it takes all kinds. And like, for example, with doing good, we evolved a lot within those first few years. And we've just been able to hone in on who we are, what we do over time. So I'll say having those initial people involved were incredibly important. And I just hope that they still remember we exist. You know, it was so long ago. Yes. And I will just completely agree with you. I think first it's as a person, you're saying, I know I want to contribute more, or you think you do, and you don't know what that is you want to do. It can be incredibly intimidating. I remember the first time even just asked to bring cookies to the classroom. I'm that kind of person who's like, well, is somebody going to have allergies? And do I have to bake them? And if I just buy them, is it going to look like, geez, the other mom made them? You know, so our first reaction is fear or we um, tell ourselves we're not worthy, or that, you know, we're being an imposter, we shouldn't be the one doing this, there's somebody else better than I am. And I think what I encourage people to do, and this was whether I was in my corporate role, or even now, when I talk to people about volunteering, just be curious, have you ever just when you're talking to somebody thought, why did they get into that? I wonder what made them want to do that. And just ask them that question and it may spark something in you. I just honestly see people who look bored and go, hey, you want to help? <laughs> I got something I need some help with. Would you like to do it? And mostly people say yes, right? But if you're that person sitting back and not doing anything, what is it you're curious about? What is it you're watching on TV? Why do you like that? And is there something in the real world that you can relate to that you can go help with? right? And with Diane, I had no idea this was going to become such a passion for me. I just thought, I'm going to take some expertise I have and try to help them out. I'll be involved for a couple months and move on. And life just changed. So I think I would just tell people, just do it. Just you know, get off the couch. Or if you're really busy and think you don't have time, you're, I was a single mom, you know, for nine years. But uh, if you're a mom, you know, you want to help in that classroom. That's volunteering. Get in there and help. If you're a mom and you love your church and they've got a children's group or you can sing, take your kid to the children's group and sing in the choir. 
you know, just get your toe in the water. And it's unbelievable the skills you'll bring to the table that you didn't even realize you had. I absolutely agree. And I appreciate that you remind people that moms are volunteering just about everywhere they go everything they do for their children. Because if you think about the schools and the places of worship and the sports activities and the arts activities, and you've got all these other activities, chances are most of them are associated with nonprofit or even government organizations. And it it really is volunteering. And I think moms do not give themselves enough credit. I agree completely. They really don't. Whether it's slicing up the oranges to take to the soccer game, they're seeing that example, you know, that you're setting. Um, I know my grandmother, you know, I to this day don't know whether she got paid or she just volunteered. But every morning she was at the orphanage by our house, cleaning the sheets. You know, she washed the beds, stripped the beds, cleaned the rooms. And when we were in the summer off school, she took us with her. So I think that planted seeds from the time I was, you know, five years old. And I don't think parents understand when you're helping at school, you're planting those seeds. You know, when you're the one driving all the kids to the soccer practices, you're planting those seeds. And tell your kids, you do this because you love them and you love helping. And let them hear it's not about getting paid. It's about doing what you love for people that you love. Absolutely. Yes. So can you tell me a little bit more about your passion for volunteering with the DDRC? Yes. Well, of course, that started with Cameron, you know, as a baby. And I think I mentioned that I was a single mom at the time. And I can remember just taking for granted that these people were there to help me, right? All of a sudden, I'm completely overwhelmed. I have a special needs child. We've never had special needs children anywhere in my family. My parents, all of us were kind of like, what do we do? I had to give him shots every day. None of us had ever done anything like that. You know, I can remember he was about five and we were at his school play. Everyone in the school had intellectual and developmental disabilities. And the beginning of the pageant, one of the teachers got up and talked about the history of the school. And I remember sitting there going, wait a minute. I thought this was part of Jefferson County. It's not. It's part of the Developmental Disabilities Resource Center. And I just realized there were these people that just wanted to help me and my child. And I didn't even know their background or why they were doing it and what this organization was. And it made me realize that I needed to know a little bit more about what I was benefiting from. And it sounds to me like you have benefited so much and you have such a good heart that that's what you focus on. And maybe that's what drives you is to give back in return for all that they have given you. Is that fair to say? Yes, it's very fair to say. I realized how much, and always may be a bad word, but I really felt like I owed these people such a debt of gratitude and it wasn't anything I had enough money to give them for. There would never be enough money. No, there would never. It was priceless what they were doing for me. So I had to give up my time and my energy and my talents. And at that point, in terms of developmental disabilities, it's not like I I still don't have any kind of degree or education around what causes a brain to do the things it does, you know, those things. But what I had was a lot of love and a lot of compassion and a lot of experience, even though it had only been five years. I was watching the next mom with the one-year-old, and I knew I could help her realize it was going to be okay. 
and that her child was going into these loving arms, I could help other parents. Even if I didn't have the time to help the organization at that point, it was a, how can I help this mom who is also a single mom who is freaking out about what is she going to do? But that is volunteering, especially since it's through the school somehow. And that's how y'all met. I mean, part of what we're doing with Doing Good is celebrating volunteers to help educate and to inspire people to volunteer because there are so many opportunities out there and so many ways that they can impact others and frankly themselves and the future if they just get involved. So I say go for it. And you've done it for so many years now. And hopefully other people will hear this and think, oh my gosh, maybe Susan is rubbing off on me because it should. You know, that's that's why we're all here is to celebrate you and to realize that we we really can make a difference. Even if that one little difference is by holding the hand of a young parent. Once you start, and that's what I would encourage people, once you give that one day, whether it's going down to make dinner on Thanksgiving at the homeless shelter, it becomes addictive. I don't know how else to say it, except that you feel so good when you leave and you know you've made a difference even for one person. When you help somebody, it just helps you. It helps you feel good about who you are. It makes you count your blessings and realize all the things you have. And you really can't be sad or depressed when you're helping somebody else through an issue. It just lifts your spirits. I love it. I love it. Susan, do you have any stories that you'd like to share with us or that you're comfortable sharing about your volunteering? I've shared a lot, but I think the one thing I'd like to share is just recently I was at a elementary school in Cherry Creek School District, which is a really uh, wonderful school district here in the Denver metro area. And we were with fifth graders. And, you know, fifth grade now is kind of you're the big kid in elementary school. You're getting ready to go to middle school. It's such a significant year. We went in with this incredible teacher and this whole classroom. They knew about Diane and the Imagine Project, and we had them do their Imagine stories, and we walked them through the process. And since I don't have elementary school kids right now, it really hit me how insanely tough this past year has been on all kids, but especially that fifth grader who's getting ready to go to middle school, who's kind of missed that opportunity to be the big kid in school because of COVID, because of the pandemic. And this little boy, Dominic, shared this incredible story. So I'd like to read it. Imagine going into fifth grade after ending school online in fourth grade. Imagine starting off the school year required to wear a mask every day. Imagine being scared to get COVID. Imagine getting COVID and being quarantined in your basement. Imagine your family being split up because you and your mom have COVID. Imagine your dad and sister are upstairs and they don't have COVID. Imagine feeling depressed and lonely in your basement. Imagine no one teaching you how to do online school. Imagine 14 days are over and you go back to school. Imagine many people distancing from you when you came back to school. Imagine people seeing you and backing away because they think you still have COVID. Imagine people finally knowing you don't have COVID and hanging out with you again. And imagine people in your family getting the vaccine and imagine finally being able to see your grandparents after 10 months. Imagine hope. When I heard this come out of this fifth grader's mouth, I just, I kind of had chills everywhere. 
and realize that our kids are resilient. They're amazing, but they need some help to see that other side, right? And to put in their words what they're feeling without somebody correcting their grammar or telling them they shouldn't write the story that way. This project helps them use their words, their voice, and work through their story. Every single kid in that classroom was hugging them. Teachers are having tears in their eyes because they realize what an impact this has had. Those are the things you do that you don't get personal gain. You just get personal satisfaction. And you know this kid's got to have a tool the rest of their life to help them work through every problem they have. Yes. And it just took a few minutes and it just took some caring and time and thought. And is there anything else that before we leave today, is there anything else you would like to share with us or maybe a message that you want to be sure to get across? Yeah, I think a couple things. Um, First on the Developmental Disabilities Resource Center, let me just tell you that every single state, every single county has what is called a community center board. It is going to have its own name. But if you are a parent who has a child with special needs, just Google